Steve. That was good. Man, I wish you could have sung that before I preached it last week. Makes me want to preach it again. Well, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. And if you'll stand for the reading of just a few verses, four of them, in fact. We're going to talk today about the poisoned stew that was healed. We're looking at the prophet Elijah and Elisha, focusing on Elisha, the prophet of restoration. The dynamic duo, prophetic duo of the Old Testament. I love these guys. I love reading about them. But now Elisha, it says in verse 38, 2 Kings 4, has returned to Gilgal, which was sort of the headquarters of the prophetic school of that day. It was sort of the headquarters for the seminary of that day. And there was a famine in the land. Verse 38 says, Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. They had been in a famine. He had just arrived. He was sort of traveling a circuit. And he arrives in Gilgal. They are sitting in front of him. They look a little bit emaciated. He said to his servant, noticing their condition, put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Now verse 39 says, one of them went out into the field to gather herbs. He found a wild vine and gathered from it a lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know, they did not know what they were. They served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, Then bring some flour. Your Bible might say meal. It's the same. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So you've got now another miracle, the healing of poison stew. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. I know there is a truth here for us. Let this story live. Let your word live. And I thank you it will not return void, but it will do what it's sent forth to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them this is going to be good today. Perk up and listen. Well, Kathy sends her love, and I walked out this morning. She got home sometime after midnight last night, working at the Gaylord Hotel, and they're about to work her to death. She said, I was so tired on my way to the car, I didn't know if I was going to make it home uh, without going to sleep. And, of course, she's working the, the shift that by the time I get home, she leaves again. And um, her boss already quit, so I said, they, they better not lose you, because she's greatly loved out there. But... Um, Anyway, I want to let you know that she needs your prayers. She's already had her arches partially collapsed from having to walk. So they make them wear cowboy boots. So for an appearance, these people's feet are falling off. You know, if you do a lot of walking in a job, you usually get to wear tennis shoes or some kind of rubber-soled shoes, but they got to wear these cowboy boots. It looks good, but it's painful. Amen? So pray for her. Now, let's look at this. Remember, this is, this is a, the second miracle of Elisha that we've looked at. He is the follower of Elijah, 
Elijah has raised him up, mentored him, discipled him. In the ministry of the prophetic in the Old Testament, it was a very different dispensation. Not the same as today at all. It was a, a unique period of time where God spoke to Israel through these two unique prophets. Though there was a school of the prophets, and there was about a hundred men in this school of the prophets, you had one major leader. It was first Elijah, then it was Elisha. And of course, we talked last week about how Elijah was raptured. He was the second man raptured in the Old Testament. And um, he was taken up in the chariot of fire with the horse men thereof, the fiery horses as well. Elisha saw it. And Elijah had told him, if you see me go up, then you will have what you have asked for, which was a double portion of the ministry and the anointing that had rested on Elijah. So we know by studying our Bible that Elijah did seven great miracles in his life. And Elisha performed 13. The 14th was executed after he was dead and in a tomb. And a man was raised from the dead, resurrected by his dead body just being thrown on the bones of Elisha. And so God is true to his word whether or not we're here. That's an amazing thing. He's a God of promise. Even if you're not around to see it, he's going to bring his promise to pass. Now, you need to catch that. That's powerful. He's true to his word whether or not you're there to claim it or to see it. He's true. He watches over his word to perform it. And so now Elisha has seen the mantle fall from the sky. He picks it up. He smites the river with it, the River Jordan. It parts just like it did for Elijah, and he began his miracle ministry. Last week we talked about how he touched the, the bitter poison waters and healed them by pouring salt into the source of the spring that was bad. Salt is a symbol of covenant. Nothing that these prophets did is by mistake. If you look at it, there's invariably a New Testament application, a New Testament truth. They were pointing down the tunnel of time to the day that the Messiah would come, and they were echoes and types and shadows of the one that was to come. And so when he poured that salt into that bitter water and made it clean by the salt, he was bringing a message that it would be by covenant that the poison waters that flow out of our heart are healed by Jesus pouring in the salt of New Testament covenant. The blood, the spirit, the word, the born-again experience. God touches our heart. He deals with us at the source of all of our problems. And most of our problems, folks, are heart problems. They're almost invariably heart problems. Now, the second miracle, this one today, Another one performed by Elisha has an incredible message, an incredible message, because here they are, he's gone to the, uh, the uh, school of the prophets, he wants to feed them, they put together a stew, and one of them goes out to gather more for the stew. He goes out and he gathers it, and he comes back and he does not know what he has gathered. Now as I read this story, boy, it just shouted at me, it just leaped out of the pages at me because I saw a truth. Now let's look at this story. First of all, there was a famine in the land. Can everybody say the word famine with me? There was a famine in the land. There was a famine. Verse 38 tells us they were starving, they were hungry. But not just a physical famine. There was a spiritual famine. 
Because you see, Ahab and Jezebel had baptized that nation into Baalism. And Baalism was robbing the land of spiritual life. You know, folks, there's only one true God. There's only one true fountain. There is a river. It's one river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the psalmist said. There is not a bunch of choices. There's only one. And Ahab and Jezebel robbed Israel of spiritual life by making them, forcing them to worship a false god. Even though Elijah had called fire down from out of heaven, it remained for Elisha to deal with the final remnants of Baalism in Israel. It was still rampant because Jezebel and Ahab were still alive. And so there was a spiritual famine in the land. There was a spiritual famine in Israel. Even though Gilgal was the headquarters of the prophets, and there were a hundred prophets, they couldn't begin to touch the famine that had touched that land. You know, folks, it matters what God a nation worships. Because every nation, I don't care where it is, China, India, I don't care where that nation is, they worship something. And it matters what God you worship. The God that Israel was worshiping was leading them into spiritual thirst and famine. There was The word of the Lord in that day was rare. It came through either Elisha or those hundred prophets. Beyond that, there was no open word of God in the land. There was a spiritual famine. They were under the iron hand of Baalism. And the every day that passed, and they worshiped children to a false god and bowed down to wooden idols that couldn't speak, couldn't hear, couldn't do anything. They went in deeper and deeper and deeper into famine. Now, folks, watch this now. In their hunger, in their hunger, they turned to a wild vine. The Bible says that one of those men, one of those prophets, he had good intentions, he had good motives. But he went out, and because they were starving, he turned to what the Bible says in verse 39, a wild vine. And from that wild vine, he got wild gourds that were poisonous, though he did not know what they were at the first. Now, I'm going to tell you a truth here today. Hunger can be a good thing because hunger can lead you to God. But hunger can be a bad thing. And I'm going to tell you what's happening in our nation today and with a lot of believers who don't know what they're doing. We are hungry, we're thirsty, and we go out and we believe that we need, to, we need to gather something. I see the stew is sort of a picture of our life. In that stew, there was a conglomeration of different ingredients. All of our lives are made up of many, many different things. Finances, relationships, the word, church, friends, all kinds of different things. Physical health, mental health, spiritual health. Every life is, as it were, a stew. And what he did is he said, there's not enough in this stew to make it what it needs to be. There is a lack, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to take care of the lack. And what this prophet went and did, he accessed a wild vine. Now, I believe this pictures our world. We live in a time of famine. If you think this nation is not in a time of famine, look at what this nation is feeding on. Look at the entertainment. Look at what's on the television. 
things that 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they would have been deluged with phone calls and shut down and many times taken to court. But see, we have gone down the slippery slope. It's the, it's the frog in the boiling water. We have gradually, incrementally, slowly, yet surely gone down, 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 down until now, because we're hungry and in a time of famine, we are accessing the wild vine that Satan puts out there and tempts us with. He went and he accessed a wild vine. I find it very, very interesting. He did not know, he did not know what he had gathered until it was in the mix and they had eaten it and it had gone down into their stomach. You know, folks, a lot of the times you don't know what you have brought into your life until the fruit of it shows. Now let me tell you something, I'm going to give you a truth today. All of us gather things that we put into our life. All of us go out in search of what will satiate the hunger, spiritual hunger of our life. Our nation is spiritually starving. We're in a famine. We are looking for God but don't know it. There's only one thing. One person, one answer, one name that satiates the real hunger, the real thirsting in our soul. And his name is J-E-S-U-S, -S, Jesus. And yet, because of pride and because of blatant deception, we access the wild vine. We go out and we access what Satan has put out there, and our nation is feeding on wild gourds. You don't know what you've gathered. When he picked those gourds off that vine, he didn't know what he had. When he carried them back to the house, he didn't know what he had. When he sliced them up, the Bible says he sliced them up and dropped them into the stew. Even then, he did not know what he had. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Now listen, I'm going to tell you a real truth today. It's not profound, but oh, how we forget it. If you want to know the truthfulness, the integrity, the wholesomeness of what you have gathered into your life to feed your hunger, if you want to know what it really is comprised of, you'll know it by its fruit. You'll know it by what it does once you've eaten it. They, they didn't know what they had until they ate it. All of a sudden, their stomachs went into convulsion. They, they went into pain. They went into agony. They had eaten poison. And only then did they say, Master, there's death in this stew. There's death in the pot. There's death in this stew. That's why we need to know the Word of God. You know what the Word of God will do for you? It'll tell you what something is before you eat it. It'll tell you what something is before you eat it. I'm going to say that again. The Word of God will give you discernment and tell you what something is comprised of before you eat it and poison your life. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. And I know there he's talking about men, he's talking about false prophets. That's the context. But couldn't them also be, you will know the quality of your decisions by their fruit? You'll know the quality of your choices by the fruit? And aren't you glad that there is a God that when we are forced to admit, Lord, alas, there's death in this stew, that we've got a Savior who understands, we've got a Savior who restores, we've got a Savior who can reach down and heal what we have done to our own lives by reaching out to a wild vine in a time of hunger. Listen, I've got a word for you today. If you're hungry, take your hunger to God. There wasn't anything wrong with their hunger. 
It was a legitimate hunger, but they ended up accessing something poisonous to take care of a legitimate hunger. And if there is a hunger in your soul, there is one who understands. And I'm going to tell you something. You can cut right to the chase and, and move a lot of choices out of your life by understanding this one thing. You don't need to look here. You don't need to look there, out there, behind you, anywhere else. Look to Jesus. He is the source to satiate your hunger. So, Pastor Jeff, you know, there's got to be more answers. There's got to be more gods. There's got to be more options. No, there's really not. Jesus said it's a narrow way. It's narrow. It's restricted. Yet in that narrow road, there is life. Why is it narrow? Because it is restricted. It requires discipline. It requires determination. It requires focus. It requires keeping your eyes looking straight ahead, not turning to the right nor to the left. It requires knowing that we are in a spiritual warfare. There is a devil who is out there placing wild vines in front of people. Listen, to that man who got that, that vine and got those wild gourds, they looked good. They seemed right. But the Bible says there is a way, there is a way, there is a choice, there is an option that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Oh, I'll tell you folks, if God gives you a hunger, that hunger is a good thing. Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled as long as you let the hunger drive you to him and not to a wild vine. Come on, everybody. <laughs> Satan's counterfeits always seem like a good idea. And you know what I've noticed about hunger? Hunger will make you see something that is not there. Hunger can really open you up to deception if you're not in prayer. Hunger can cause you to reach out to a wild vine and only after you've assimilated it, taken it in, eaten it, and it's gone down into your spiritual stomach do you realize, uh-oh, there's death in the pot. There's death in the stew. God help me. I ate a wild gourd. What are some of the wild gourds that the enemy has out there? Let me just give you a couple of them that I think a lot of people are biting into. How about materialism? Oh, you cannot imagine the pull, the magnetism, the deception that there is in materialism. Satan tells people there's nothing wrong with having things, there's nothing wrong with having stuff, there's nothing wrong with owning things, possessing things, acquiring things, as long as they do not acquire or possess you, and as long as you don't think there is an ultimate answer in things or stuff, because there is not. I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It was on the back of a very nice car. Here's what it said. You know the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins. I sped right up next to him and looked at him. I want to see what he looked like. You know what he didn't look like? He didn't look happy. And he's token. I said, well, he's going to find out sooner than most if he keeps that up. Now, we laugh at that little saying, but I'm going to tell you something. That is a core belief that America has seized in our hunger. We've seized the wild vine. We've taken wild gourds off of it. And now, you know what? There's death in the pot. 
There's death in the stew. You know why? Because it does not satisfy the spiritual hunger of your soul. It can't. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, beware, beware of covetousness. What is covetousness? It's when you have believed a lie. Covetousness has, has seized your brain and your heart, and here's what you have believed if you're covetous. If I can just get that and that and that and that and that material things, then I will be happy, and the hunger that is way down in my soul will be satisfied. Covetousness is a lie because things, stuff, never deliver. They never satiate the soul. Isaiah 55 verse 2, Isaiah chimes in and he says, why are you spending money for what does not satisfy? And why are you getting wages for what is not bread? Why are you spending all your money on things that do not take care of the spiritual hunger in your soul? Isaiah went on to say, I counsel you to come to me and eat that which is good. You know something there, folks, there is something inside of you and me that only God can touch and only God can satisfy. And all of life has got to pivot on that one truth and that one reality. If you spend time every day with him, if you spend time every day in his word, if his spirit touches your heart every day, if you begin your day with him and end your day with him, and he is the focus and the central pivot point of your life, then all these other things can bring a level of fulfillment and joy, but the real joy will come out of the spring and the well of salvation. He is it. He's the only thing that is not a wild vine. He said, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. And he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, I'll tell you, folks, we've got to watch out for the wild vines out there. That vine of materialism is a lie. And a lot of people have gathered gourds off that vine and have mixed it into the stew of their life. And now they're looking up to God saying, I don't know what is wrong with me, but there is death in the pot. Something's not right. Here's another one. How about religion without Jesus? Religion without Jesus as the center of it. You say, well, Pastor, I don't think that's very much out there. Let me tell you something. I've visited some churches in the last year. And I'm going to tell you, there's religion without Jesus. I went into one church. I'll never forget it. I felt that if I went back, I would be sinning. Matter of fact, God told me, if you go back, it's a sin. Now, how would you like for God to say that about some church you were going to? I walked in. Beautiful building, multi, multi, million dollar building. Everybody walking around in fine clothes. Jags, Mercedes, Lexus. Nothing wrong with those things. That's all that was parked out there. Nothing wrong with those things. What was wrong was when I sat down and they began to sing, they had gutted from the hymns, the name of God, every reference to God, any reference to Christ, any quoting of the Word, and it was all just these pithy little, uh, you know, sayings that really did not in any way touch the hunger of my soul. Because the only thing that will is God through Christ. But our nation has accessed a wild vine, and that vine is religion without Jesus. The minister stood up 
and he didn't open up a Bible. He opened up Robert Frost. Now, Robert Frost was a good poet. I'm not taking away from a good poet, but in church, don't you open up Robert Frost and read Robert Frost to me. He was lost and going to hell like anybody else. I want to hear from the Word of God. I want to hear about God. I want to hear about Jesus. But he, he, he started talking and he made fun of anybody who believed that there was only one way. He literally said that. He mocked anybody who believed there was only one way and this entire congregation laughed along with him. And I shuddered. Because I said to myself, what has happened to our nation? 30, 40, 50 years ago, you wouldn't go into a church ever anywhere. I don't care, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, it didn't matter. You would have heard about God. You would have heard a Bible verse quoted. But something has happened. Something diabolical has taken place. It's been a rape. It's been a theft of what church ought to be all about. It is not coming to church to hear Robert Frost. God bless Robert Frost. It is, I am hungry. I am thirsty. I need a word from God. Talk to me, preacher. He gets up there, and for 30 minutes, he went on about nothing. Nothing. It was like looking, watching a balloon get filled up with helium and float away. What good preaching ought to be, it ought to reach out with hands and grab your mind and grab your heart and grab your soul and feed you. That's what it ought to be. But I watched his message just float away. I went down into the, into the lobby and I was just kind of standing there and a man walked up to me, oh, you're a visitor, I'm a visitor. And he said, well, what'd you think? I said, I don't know what to think. I went into the bookstore. They're selling Stephen King trilogies in the bookstore. I couldn't find a Bible in the bookstore. But they called themselves church. John had a name for it. The Laodicean Church. You're not warm. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're lukewarm. You're dead. I want to spew you out of my mouth. If you're not going to walk with God, then go on and don't walk at all. If you're going to walk with God, be hot. But don't be lukewarm and don't put on a facade that God is there when God's not even mentioned. They'd accessed a wild vine and they had carried the gourds into a building and mixed it into the stew of life. And it was religion without Jesus. God help us, everybody. God help us. He ought to be at the beginning of the service, at the end of the service, filling the middle of the service. We ought to walk out thinking about Him, knowing more than we knew when we walked in. We ought to have a picture of Him. We ought to have been changed by Him. It's Jesus, 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 all throughout. Ah. I'm telling you, if you walk into a religion, into a church, and God is there, or there is mention of God, and Jesus is not at the center, don't walk, run out of there. Because that little bit of leaven will leaven your whole life as you eat that stew. And you'll end up saying, I don't know what's wrong, God, but there's death in my life. Because Jesus said a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. The examples are so many, but I want to show you what he did about this. Here's what Elisha did. He said, well, there's death in the pot, there's death in the stew. What, what do we do? We can't eat this and we're sick and maybe some of them were dying. 
Here's what he said. He said, bring me some flour. Bring me some meal. Scripture refers to either flour or meal. It's the same thing. What was it? Leviticus 5.11. I want you to listen to this. Leviticus 5.11. God says, he who sinned shall bring for his offering one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a sin offering. Flour was a symbol of that which covered sin, that which settled the sin issue. See, Elisha knew exactly what he was doing when he asked for salt, because he knew that that represented covenant. He knew exactly what he was doing when he asked for flour for the poison stew, because flour represented the covering of sin. Now listen to me, church. You know what God's answer is for every one of us who have reached out to wild vines, and I got news for you, we all have. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have reached out with trembling, hungry hand to something in our life that was not from God. It was a wild vine and it poisoned our life and it happens in the lives of believers all the time. You've got to be able to recognize it and ask God to touch it. And you know what God's answer is? It's not complicated. It's always going to be the same, but it's never boring. The only answer for a life that has been poisoned by accessing answers from the wild vines offered by the enemy of our soul is the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Everybody say nothing. No, 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 not psychology, nothing. Not positive thinking, nothing. Not good deeds, nothing. Not n more sleep, nothing. Not changing your diet, nothing. Not losing weight, nothing can wash away your sins. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. When he took that flower, and he held it over the pot of stew. They all knew exactly what he was doing. And here's what Elisha, the prophet of restoration, was saying. He's coming. He's coming. I'm pointing my long prophetic finger down the tunnel of time. There's going to be a day when he comes. And when he does, he's going to die for us. And he's going to spill his blood, the type and shadow of which was the flower. And that blood is going to cover poisoned lives. Mm. It's going to cover the sin issue. And I'm going to tell you something. The reason they do what they do when they do it and destroy themselves in the doing of it is because of sin. What do they need? They need the flower. Because all of us had poison lives. And I don't know about you, but when I brought my poison life to him, he didn't say, go read Freud. He didn't say, just go do a bunch of good things for yourself. He said, go to the cross and bow your knee and humble yourself. And then he poured in the oil and the wine. 
He poured in the blood. He covered me with the blood, then filled me with the Holy Spirit. And there was only one answer. There weren't a hundred, only one. Listen, I'm going to be bold enough to say it. Mohammed did not die for your sins. Neither did Buddha. Neither did any other man. Only Christ did. And his blood is the flower. It's the flower. Praise God, it's the flower. Come on, everybody. It's the flower. It heals the poison stew. There's only one thing that can reach in and extract that deadly poison, and that's the blood. Sin only understands one thing, the blood. Oh, I sense God here. Your answer is the sin offering of Jesus. There isn't another one. There is not another one. There's not another one. If you don't come to him and let his blood cover you, you will die in your sins and you will go into an eternity without God. But if you come to him, the stew is healed. The stew is healed. The life with all of its multifaceted ingredients is healed. Amen? Let's stand together, can we? Let's lift our hands and just thank God for the flower, the blood, the blood, the sin offering, the blood. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood. There is only one answer, the blood. He's the bread of life. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the resurrection and the life. There is only one answer, it is him. He's the true vine. He is our shepherd. We shall not want. He covers us with his blood. It heals the poison stew. It makes our lives whole and sound. I speak wholeness and soundness over your life. If you have grabbed a hold of a wild vine, if you have taken wild gourds into your life, I'm speaking over your life today. There is an answer for you. Confess it to God. Get those wild gourds out of your life and let the blood heal the poison stew. Let's sing, what can wash away my sin, Steve? What can wash away my sin? Not other? No other answer.